Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast, I'm Ben Rowie. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the upcoming Queensland state election due on the 31st of October. I'm joined by two guests today. My first guest is Chris Salisbury. Chris is a political historian focusing on Queensland politics and policymaking at the University of Queensland. Hello, Chris. G'day, Ben. And my second guest is Glenn Kefford. Glenn is a lecturer in political science in the School of Politics and International Studies at the University of Queensland. Hello, Glenn. Hi, Ben. The Queensland election will be held on the 31st of October. The Palaszczuk Labor government is seeking a third term in power amidst a COVID-19 pandemic that has seen the Queensland government being quite strict about border controls and uh, limits on people coming across uh, state borders. Glenn, how would you judge that the current government is performing at the moment? I think that they are doing relatively well, all things considered. Um, If there has been one political positive for the government out of this whole COVID uh, sequence of events, it's that it's allowed them to really turn the election into a Palaszczuk v Frecklington contest, which I think that was um, what they ideally wanted it to look like in the end. And there's been reports that Labor's internal numbers say that Frecklington is either not very well known or not viewed all that favourably. So uh, I think in that context, it's to their advantage. And it's probably taken uh, the spotlight away from some of their own internal issues. So the the, the Jackie Trad saga um, and her moving to the the backbench, as well as uh, a number of senior ministers deciding not to recontest the election. I'd agree with uh, Glenn there that there's one narrative that's dominating heading into an election. It's just about how the government's managing the pandemic crisis. Uh, They have all the resources at their uh, disposal, um, advertising and, uh, you know, social media campaigns sort of highlighting that the the Premier's doing a wonderful job so far in uh, limiting the outbreaks here, and um, and uh, you know it's interesting seeing just uh, this morning. I think some or overnight some employment figures come out that uh, are at least something of a positive, um, although they have to be taken with a you know uh, a lot of uh, uh, acknowledgement that uh, you know there's other factors at play in in, in the numbers of people seeking jobs, etc. But um, it's going to be a yeah, a two-horse race, I think, almost like Glenn describes, uh, Palaszczuk v. Franklinson. So we don't have a lot of statewide polls. We did have one poll a few weeks ago that was very favourable to um, the LNP, but it was from a, a pollster that doesn't have a lot of uh, history. But from the credible pollsters, we have a news poll from the end of July and a YouGov from the beginning of June, both of which had the LNP with a small lead, so 51, 49, 52, 48. And that's about it recently, certainly since the pandemic started. So we're kind of flying a little bit blind from a polling perspective, although we do have a few seat polls, um, but they tend to be selective polls released for specific seats. And a lot of them are for inner city seats where the Greens are contesting, which usually don't produce very good polls. Um, so we don't we don't really have a way to judge from that perspective. Um Generally, the Queensland government's approach has been quite hardline, maybe not quite so much as the Western Australian government, but reasonably hardline about uh, closing the borders to the southern states, particularly recently. And I mean, interestingly, you know, sometimes their policy has been kind of similar to the South Australian government, but the rhetoric has been a lot fiercer, a lot of um, back and forth between 
ministers in Queensland and their counterparts, particularly in New South Wales. Um, and it does feel like that has happened with a bit of an eye to this pending election. I agree, Ben. I think uh, some of it has definitely been confected. Um, and look, I think that the the Labor government uh, are actually enjoying this back and forth, not just with New South Wales, but also um, with uh, the federal government. They think that this plays in their favour because they know what the polling says about the policies they've put in place. It's hugely popular. So the continued stouches and rhetorical battles with New South Wales, with the federal government, all it does is just make Palaszczuk look more <laughs> more of a premier, right? More, um, you know, we always talk about looking prime ministerial, but this is making Palaszczuk look like a, um, a strong premier. So both of you are based in Queensland and this does feel relevant to how people are judging the election. How much restrictions are there on everyday life in Queensland? Let's say in southeast Queensland at the moment, there's a little bit of virus popping around, but like, are people mostly going about their lives as normal? So from my observations, um, yeah, relatively normal. Uh, there's restrictions on, on the numbers allowed at, uh, at gatherings, um, but even those uh, can be oh, inconsistent or at least uh, you know, flexible. Uh, Depending on what the what the situation is, uh, so there's not a, an awful lot of sort of lockdown feeling on, on movement. Uh, although I'd suggest there's maybe a sense of uh, kind of mental lockdown that's still at play uh, amongst many Queenslanders. Yes, there's the sort of the broader narrative about what's going on um, elsewhere in Australia and internationally. But um, you know, my sense is that Queenslanders feel very lucky that we have the capacity to still move around the way we do, to still catch up with family and friends the way we do, and, you know, to still enjoy restaurants, to go to go to pubs, even though there's measures in place for social distancing. But we can still do those things, which puts Queensland in a much better position than, you know, many other states in Australia. Let's put a historical lens on, on this election. Labor has now been in power in Queensland for all but five of the last 31 years. They, uh, there was a brief interruption between the Goss and the Beattie governments from 1996 to 1998, and then uh, the Campbell-Newman government held power for one term from 2012 to 2015. But apart from that, Labor has dominated Queensland. And in one sense, that would make you wonder, well, surely at some point their time is up and it becomes harder for them to stay in power for that amount of time. But on the other hand, it does feel like They've hit on a bit of a, a recipe that works for most elections. And do you see any any implications for this election from from that history? You're right to say that. Um, I mean, Labor here in Queensland has uh, almost come to be seen as the the natural party of government. Um, they've uh, enjoyed, you know, uh, I guess mostly unbroken or, or only briefly broken uh, periods of uh, electoral and, and uh, political hegemony in the state. Part of that is, as you've uh, indicated, a, a kind of a recipe that they've um, uh, been able to settle on that, that is you know, mostly successful or, or, or popular with Queensland voters. Um, but you also have to remember, I think, that uh, the, the opposition here in Queensland has, has also at times been its own worst enemy and um, seem to have a, a peculiar trait of uh, kind of shooting themselves in the foot uh, as we get close to elections here in Queensland. So that... Um, is part of the, the you know, reasoning why uh, Labor's been able to remain in power as often as it has. Um, 
But there's some interesting historical, uh, I guess, parallels between uh, you know, previous longish terms of government here. Even before the pandemic hit this year, uh, this was always going to be something of a, a notable election, some some firsts happening. Um, uh, we've got the first state election where uh, both major party leaders are, are women. We're coming into a term of government that's going to last for four years compared to the three we've been used to. So there's some quite new and, and, and novel aspects of this poll to, to look forward to. But, uh, but I'm reminded there's also some echoes with past governments in Queensland. Um, the, the style of the Palaszczuk government reminds me something of uh, Wayne Goss's government. And I've been looking closely at, at uh, you know, when Goss vied for a, a third term in government, as Palaszczuk is doing. And incidentally, if, if uh, Labor wins this election, uh, Palaszczuk will become the first woman to win three elections uh, at any jurisdiction in the country. But there's going to be some <laughs> interesting little uh, sort of historical points of attention that I'll be looking at. Uh, we've seen some ministerial resignations here in the last couple of weeks, and, and one of them, interestingly, is uh, in the seat of Mundingborough up around Townsville. Now, those with the knowledge of 90s politics in Queensland will remember that that seat played a, a key role in the end of the Goss government. Townsville and, and certain uh, North Queensland uh, electorates are going to be critical in this election. Um, but I'm uh, amused a little that, that Mundingborough should come into play when it was uh, so prominent 25 years ago. And that election in 1995, Goss held on, mm. but the result in Mundingborough was later overturned and that resulted in a sort of midterm change of government in 1996 after a by-election. Let's talk about some of these regions now and we can start with Townsville. There's been a long-term trend on the like the coastal strip of Queensland of Labor losing seats that they were once really strong in, um, but they still have this hold on there are three seats in the Townsville area, as well as three seats in the Cairns area, all of which are held by Labor. And the Townsville seats in particular are all very marginal and um, could well all be in play at this election. And as Chris just said, um, Coralie O'Rourke, the sitting MP for Mundingborough, has decided to retire at the last minute. What do we think about those kinds of seats there that uh, if you compare them to their federal counterparts, Labor does often does a lot worse? I think that they're going to be really important seats. Uh, I mean, I think it's no surprise that a lot of the danger for Labor, I think, is from central Queensland northwards. Um, one, I guess, countervailing wind here is in relation to COVID and I was watching 7.30, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and they, they talked about the Department of Social Security have done this analysis and they were looking at the federal seats where you've got the most people on JobKeeper, the areas where people have lost the most jobs. And in Queensland, overwhelmingly, they were in federal coalition seats. And, you know, they were those seats on the coast around Townsville, around Cairns, which... At the federal level, the coalition holds, right? But at the state level, um, a lot of them are in Labor's hands. So there is a countervailing wind there about the economic context and whether um, a sense of economic anxiety would lead to voters leaning towards incumbents. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I do agree that uh, those seats around Townsville, the seats like Tharangawa, Mundingborough, um, even the seat of Townsville, which is the most marginal seat in the state, um, that they're going to be very big challenges for Labor to hold. It's worth noting that Labor does not hold 
uh, government by a large majority. Two seats changing hands away from Labor would deprive them of their majority. So if they were to lose ground in those uh, North Queensland electorates, they would need to pick up somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that there are um, some seats uh, in the north of the state that Labor would be targeting. And then there are some seats sort of in the southeast. I mean, uh, I would not be surprised if one of Labor's primary target seats would be Whitsunday, which um, is held by Jason Costigan, who um, was in the LNP and then he split, he became an independent. Now he set up his own little party. I think Labor would be hoping that he would split the LNP vote and they could get across the line in Whitsunday. And then there's probably a range of seats in the south of the state which Labor would be uh, hoping to pick up, some from the LNP and then some from uh, the minor parties. Whitsunday is the most marginal LNP seat in the state. And as you mentioned, it is no longer an LNP seat because the member has formed his own party. But it it would be a very crucial seat anyway, even if there hadn't been a split in the Conservative vote. But that, that will definitely be one to watch. And so One Nation... Uh, had a big spike in their vote in 2017. They won the electorate of Moreni in central Queensland. The limited polls we have still have them polling in the double digits. There's been no collapse in support for One Nation. It's not like they've gone away. Um, Equally, on the other hand, they're not surging tremendously. But they broke through and made the top two in numerous seats in the last election, both seats on that sort of central Queensland coastal strip but also in the kind of outer suburbs of Brisbane. They they came second in seats like Logan's and some seats in the Ipswich area. So how do you rate One Nation's prospects? It's hard to judge. Uh, I guess my, my sense is that um, it's not as strong as it was in 2017. Um, I think that it's no surprise that Labor will be gunning for them in Morani. Um, and I really find it difficult to imagine them picking up seats in the southeast of the state. I just think that the 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 way the election is being pitched and the context within which it's being pitched, it could potentially lead to you know a lot of these persuadable voters, the um, swinging voters, however, however we want to describe them, to. Um, perhaps revert back to one of the major parties. So I think that the, the the election context is really set up for a swing away from a lot of these minor parties and back to the major parties. Yes, I'd agree with that too, Glenn. I, I think that kind of mentality that I referred to earlier, the, uh, the almost lockdown mentality that uh, I think is just uh, sort of pervading the community around the country. But uh, uh, as, as you indicated, uh, these conditions favour incumbents. Um, I think Voters will be looking to either of the major parties to, you know, um, to steer us through and out of this crisis. I mean, just the fact that we we barely heard anything from One Nation uh, and some of the other miners uh, indicates that there's a real dominance uh, of the the major parties in terms of the narrative. The airwaves are just full of discussion of how the government or, or alternatively the opposition is going to, you know, steer us out of this. Um, so I, I also expect that there'll be something of a hardening of the votes behind the, the major parties. And again, talking about minor parties, the Greens hold one seat, the seat of Maywa in the inner west of Brisbane. There's probably two other seats where the Queensland Greens could be competitive. Uh, that is South Brisbane, which is held by the former Deputy Premier Jackie Trad, and McConnell, which is held by another Labor Minister, Grace Grace. Maywa was one of those seats last time where the LNP topped the primary vote, but Labor and the Greens were in a close contest to see who would come second. Greens came second and gained Labor's preferences to win, sort of a pattern we've seen numerous times. 
if the Greens are going to have a chance in McConnell, it would be a similar scenario where there has been, admittedly, this polling is not generally very reliable, but there was one poll suggesting the Greens might just narrowly pip Grace Grace on the primary vote. If the Greens end up ahead of Labor in the distribution of preferences, they will almost certainly win that seat on Labor preferences over the LNP. South Brisbane is a little bit different because it looks like it's going to be more of a Greens versus Labor head-to-head. But interestingly, the LNP has announced, and they announced this a while ago, that they'll be preferencing the Greens over Jackie Trad, uh, which is a reverse of what they did in the last election. Either of you have thoughts about Green's performance? Yeah, look, I uh, I think that South Brisbane is a coin flip. The Greens are mobilising a gigantic field campaign in South Brisbane. They've been out on the doors and on the phones for months now. Labor is certainly trying to fight back. I'm I'm very curious how Alan P voters who live in South Brisbane will respond <laughs> to the how to vote card, and whether they actually would preference the Greens. Like I I I, w- I would love to see what the final figure of that will end up being. I think it will probably be less than a lot of people assume and that it's it's effectively a coin flip in South Brisbane. I think uh, Michael Berkman will retain Maywa pretty comfortably. I think McConnell is the most unlikely for the Greens. Yes, you know, they could get across the line on preferences, um, but I think that that's a bit of an uphill battle. There's other seats that they're, they're pushing in, like Greenslopes, for example, but I think that they're probably at the, uh, the outer end of sort of the range of probabilities and possibilities. So I think it's retain Maywa coin flip in South Brisbane. Yeah, I guess I'd, I'd concur with uh, Glenn's thoughts there. I'm, I'm interested to see just what the, the resignations of a couple of uh, Brisbane-based uh, ministers from Labor's front bench will do. Stafford's held fairly comfortably Cooper, formerly Ashgrove, uh, as well. But the loss of Kate Jones is a big loss for the Labor front bench. They've got, a, I guess, a, a fairly well-known candidate to step in and, and take over, so I, I expect them to hold that seat. But we know that at the uh, council elections six months ago, the Greens' vote in some of the inner-city wards, including uh, Paddington, was quite high and, and nearly you know, successful in, in winning some of those wards. So those uh, changes of, of candidates in, in some of those seats are going to you know, level the playing field uh, slightly, perhaps, or at least give some hope to the Greens to, to improve their performance. But uh, I'd agree with, with Glenn's assessment. One other thing to um, take into account, and certainly a lot of the publicity in Queensland around the Greens is built off the back of those council results. And uh, a lot of Greens messaging has been about the fact that they could win up to six seats, for example, that talked about that quite a bit. And there's a lot of publicity um, in the Courier-Mail and, you know, various other media sources about this. I'm quite wary of taking much from the Brisbane Council elections, um, mainly because uh, talking to a lot of Labor people, they effectively ran dead <laughs> in the council elections. Um, and you know, some of them said they just were saving their resources for the state campaign and they, they they put almost no resources into the council election, like far less than they have in um, previous cycles. So I'm a little wary of drawing too many conclusions from the council contests. But I think one thing to take out of that council election is, is just the, the trend of 
of status quo. Um, we didn't see any of the wards change hands at that uh, council election. And if we can look to the election in the Northern Territory recently, uh, you know, I think there's an argument that these conditions do really favour incumbents and, and people kind of sticking with what they know. It's interesting now that we have fixed terms in Queensland, uh, whether it becomes a problem that council elections are always happening about seven months before the state election. I mean, in New South Wales, they eventually shifted council election schedules to be further away from um, state election cycles. Labor holds only one seat on the Gold Coast and doesn't hold any seats on the Sunshine Coast. They lost the seat of Palmerstone in uh, 2017 after uh, the sitting Labor MP became an independent and there was a, there was a lot of controversy around that seat. Do we think that Labor has any prospects of picking up ground in those seats, possibly something that could offset losses either to the Greens or um, or on the North Coast? I don't uh, expect any pickups in the, on the Sunshine Coast, but I, I do think, I think it's been fairly clear that Labor's been putting a lot of groundwork into the Gold Coast uh, and partly to, to uh, offset what might be some anticipated losses up north. And here, I think, is one of the interesting aspects of uh, the border restrictions coming into play. I'm curious about how the the border shutdown and and restrictions on movements across the border um, is going to play in in seats along that border. Corumban is going to be one uh, interesting to watch. Um, Labor's announced a uh, kind of celebrity candidate there in Wayne Bartholomew. Um, They had a a reasonable result in the uh, by-election there back in March. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think the Gold Coast is where Labor's going to turn its attention to um, perhaps trying to make up a shortfall uh, from seats lost elsewhere in, in the regions. Yeah, 100% agree. It's one of these curious things about Queensland politics. I never thought I'd see the day when Labor would be piling resources into the Gold Coast, <laughs> um, but they are. And, yeah, look, Bartholomew has been selected. It's for Burley. Oh, yeah, beg your pardon. It is too, sorry. It's not out of the range of possibilities that uh, they could pick up early. I mean, it's on 4.9%. So that will be one they'll be targeting. They definitely are also trying to target Corumban again. Um, Speaking to some Labor folks, they... They didn't think they were going to win the by-election, but they thought they were going to run a a pretty close contest, and they did. So there's a general sense that the Gold Coast is perhaps starting to become a little bit more competitive for them. So that's that's a curious and interesting little development um, beneath the scenes here in Queensland, I think. Yeah, and of course, Burley borders the Corumbin electorate, so they're both fairly close to that border area where, you know, presumably Labor's been doing a bit of polling about how how well the, the border restrictions are, are playing. Do we have any sense of uh, any other kind of outer suburban contests that are going on? Labor does hold most of the seats in the kind of greater Brisbane area. From what I can tell, Labor are, are really just trying to sandbag outer metropolitan seats. Um, you know, they, as you say, there's a lot of them which are, you know, within the sort of 1% to 5% range, Aspley, Mansfield, Redlands, and so on and so forth. You know, they're the types of seats, Springwood as well with Victor Brenny, they're the types of seats that Labor will be trying to sandbag and... Uh, it's been pretty clear from the social media presence that they're, you know, they're trying to mobilise volunteers, get people out in the field campaigns, um, and they've they've already been doing that. So that will be Labor's strategy in those outer metro seats, I would think. Yeah, when we come to an election, uh, One Nation typically is the the kind of the great unknown. Um, 
and it's been curious to note to see that they've not really played much part so far in the lead up. Um, but again, I guess uh, even Clive Palmer might be added to that unknown. And, and uh, well, I guess as the closer we get to the campaign itself, we'll see just what uh, impact. Presumably not uh, anything like at the last federal election, but that'll uh, you know still be seen. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, if you saw my tweets the other day, I was going through the the Facebook ad library and actually. UAP and One Nation have been spending the most ads in the last week on Facebook and Instagram. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, Glenn and Chris, for joining me. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks, Ben. And thanks, Chris. Thank you, Ben. You can now find the Tally Room Guide to the Queensland Election in full, published at tallyroom.com.au slash QLD2020. The guide features profiles of all 93 electorates, and you can comment on your seat, uh, join the discussion about um, how you think an individual seat or the whole state is going to go. And I will also be live blogging the Queensland election night on the 31st of October, and we will definitely be back talking more about Queensland before election day. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Krista Bro for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.